Hey guys, welcome to the College Alternative Podcast. Glad to have you join us today, and we're really excited because we're going to be interviewing Kevin Sinzaki. Well, really, you are, and he's going yeah. to be talking about his experience in sound design. Yeah, so this guy is a lifelong veteran in the sound industry, and currently he works for Rocket Jump, which is a digital um, movie studio. They post a lot of stuff online from movies on YouTube to instructional videos. They do a lot of explaining to, to, um, to beginners uh, getting into the film industry all the way up to intermediate and all the way up to advanced techniques. It's really wonderful what they're doing and putting out there as far as content. So he's going to be talking about his career and, and how he started and um, how you can as well. All his recommendations, going to school, not going to school, uh, what to look for, how to train, etc. So if any of you out there are interested in getting into sound design and want to figure out what it, the pathway is to getting a job in this area, come take a listen. Interviews with the best in their fields, teaching you how to excel in careers that don't require traditional college. You're listening to the College Alternative Podcast. Insider tips and advice, straight from the experts. And now, here is your host, James Christian. I'm really excited to have on today, uh, Kevin Sinzaki. Uh, hey! And, hey, how's it going, man? Good! <laughs> this is really, really exciting. Ever since uh, Ren recommended you to be on the show, talking about sound, I've been really actually pretty stoked. And this morning, I was looking up your, you posted on YouTube, your sound design demo reel, 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I That's never... recent enough. It's not too embarrassing. <laughs> no. It, it sounds so amazing when they're running over bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> But I'm really excited to talk today about, about sound because, like I said, most people really don't have even a clue about your industry or how to even get into your industry unless they kind of been to LA or you know worked on mm-hmm. stuff like this before, you know. And it's really exciting to have you have you on to talk about your job and and what you do at Rocket Jump and everything like that. So thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so. How about uh, you start talking a little bit about uh, your background and how you got into the, the industry and what you do? Right. Well, um, when I was a younger kid, like, you know, elementary school, I was uh, into like drawing a whole lot. And I was thinking when I was younger, maybe I'll get into animation or something. Um, but as I kind of pursued illustration, I ran into a bunch of art teachers and assignments I didn't really like. And then I realized after a while I wouldn't want to spend eight hours a day drawing things I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, but when I was really young, I was also really into like video games and like movies. Like, you know, I was really into Star Wars and, you know, the typical stuff. <laughs> um, so when I got a little older, I was able to sort of steal the parents' video camera. And our, our intermediate school had a video production course where we got to do some sort of old school analog tape editing. Uh, and I thought that was really, really fun. So my interest kind of went from animation more towards film and in general, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I really liked about like star Wars when I was really young is you, 
I like to try to pick apart the illusions. Like I like the fact that they were using costumes and puppets and they were doing blue screen and they were, you know, someone was creating the sounds. Yeah. So when I started messing around with film, you know, middle school into high school, I was trying to do visual effects. I was trying to do my own sound editing. Um, and that's kind of where I decided, yeah, maybe I want to start doing film. So after that, um, you know, I kind of kicked around in college for a little bit. I ended up transferring into film school at uh, USC, uh, University of Southern California, which you know, is in the Los Angeles area, has a pretty good film program. Um, and then, you know, I continued to have sort of split interests, but there was a need for sound people. So I was like, hey, yeah, I do enjoy doing that. And then it turned out apparently I was uh, good enough at it that once we kind of I'll graduate and start looking for work. It seemed like the smartest thing for me to uh, pursue. So you got turned on by that. Uh, I think there was that video that was circulating around about a guy that was walking around just taking random, random sound bites for the Star mm. Wars, where like he was banging on barbed wire and oh yeah, that would yeah. sound like you yeah. Know, and he's got really the old school, you know, the the little track thing that was moving, and he's. He's, he's got yeah. a microphone right next to it. And he, yeah, that was yeah. really, really cool. And like, even as a kid, I thought that stuff was so cool, you know. Um, I was always really interested in, in, like, the way these things are made. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because what? One sound is comprised of just, well, not countless, but just uh, mm -hmm. multiple different sounds uh, mm -hmm. when you really think about it. That's, that's, yeah. That is pretty cool. So why did, you, why did you go into sound? Just because you felt like uh, that would, there was a need for that? Versus everything else? Right. Well, um, so I had kind of an interest in film in general, and I, I yeah. came to it from like a, a visual standpoint. But what I liked about movies, even you know, I was a younger kid, is um, you know, you know, if you imagine me when I'm five years old and I'm drawing with like a little, you know, crayons or whatever, the the big frustrations I had is I didn't have any movement, which was like in pay animation, but I also didn't have any sound. Yeah. Um, so when I started goofing around with that kind of thing. Um, what was the question again? Let me make sure I actually hit that. <laughs> um, why did you choose sound? I mean, it, right. you kind of mentioned that before. I mean, you, you kind of mm -hmm. noticed that there was a need for that. There was like a niche that was being unfilled. In that yeah, I, I, I feel like well, by the time I got to film school, I'd goofed around with audio enough. Uh, at the time, I was using Cool Edit Pro. I was doing some audio in Adobe Premiere, which at that point was not a great piece of software. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think it was a combination of, hey, I already know I enjoy this. And then we had projects at school that needed it. Yeah. Um, and one of the really cool things about being at a film school is you have all of the, the facilities available to you, the resources. So I was able to, you know, draw from a professional sound library and then, you know, cut stuff to picture to something we'd shot and then mix it on like a surround sound stage. And then through all that, um, it turned out, I, I guess I wasn't that bad at it. And I decided, <laughs> yeah, this this really is a part of the process that. I enjoy. And then you got hired on by Rocket Shop right after that or kind of uh, not, not immediately. Do you want to jump into that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, right out of school, like one of the, I guess I'll just throw this in right now, a question like I hear a lot from people is, do I need to go to film school to do film? And the yeah. short answer is no. It's not an industry where anyone ever asks you for your degree. You know, if you, when you're applying for a job, it's, can you do the job? It's not, oh, yeah. well, did you go to film school? A hundred percent. Yeah. But there, there were two advantages when I went through, and, and one was the cost of tuition was cheaper than the cost of buying all the equipment yourself. That is becoming less the, so the case. 
because uh, when I was getting into film school around like 2008, I think the first red digital camera had just come out. If you wanted to get like a, a digital camera to shoot something that looked decent, that was maybe 40,000, 50,000. I'm just kind of making the number up, but that's, you pay yeah. for tuition at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, but now you can get a DSLR for like 500 bucks and you can shoot a feature. So that you're losing that end of it. But the other thing that's really great about a film program, again, not necessary, but you get to meet other people who are your age who are trying to break into the same industry. So when we all graduated, we were all unemployed, which was, you know, awesome. Um, <laughs> that was a great graduation speech, but they're basically like, yeah, uh, you know, moms and dads, thanks for all your money. Your kids, uh, are all freelancers now and they're all unemployable and, you know, Best of luck to all you. But um, I started doing some projects with some of my classmates. I, I was fortunate to have one classmate who had already started a small like advertising company before he went to film school. So nice. he brought me on nice. to do audio. Uh, and then we did a web series for a graphics card company. But one of the actors in that was Jimmy Wong, who's uh, Freddie Wong's brother. And Freddie Wong's one of the, you know, the guys that started Rocket Jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just through kind of that, um, I got recommended when Rocket Jump did Video Game High School, which was their first sort of big web series. Um, and I, I don't even know if they were Rocket Jump at that time. Um, well, anyway, that's not particularly relevant. But they recommended me for that um, to do production sound only. So I was going to be on set. I was going to be holding the microphones, but I was not going to be doing any sound design. But sound design was more where my interest was. So while you're we shooting, I basically, you know, asked, asked around, asked Freddie, like, hey, guys, do you have a sound designer? And the answer was, yeah, we already do. So I was like, OK, cool, man. So I just cut a demo and sent it to him anyway. And then, you know, the reply was, hey, do you want to do sound on the show? I'm like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. So I ended up working with the other editor um, just doing the sound design for that show. I mostly did the, like action scenes, gunfight stuff. Uh, and then the relationship just kind of continued from there. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think you totally hit it on the head, though. It, employer doesn't care about your degree. Really. No, they, no, they care I'm, about what you can do and if you're competent. At, yeah, at what you're able to do. It sounds like yeah. it sounds like networking was a big one for you. Is that is that kind um, of the, the the meat and potatoes of the film the film industry? Is I would you know? I would yeah I would say so. Um, it might be I just throw it in. It might be a little different if you're trying to get like an entry level position at a big studio. Like if you go to Sony, if you go to Fox, they may ask like, did you did you graduate high school or something? <laughs> um, I I don't know because I immediately went freelance and then started working at smaller companies. Um, but it's definitely about networking and having people know you and having people trust you and have good working experiences with you. Because if I have to work with someone new. And I know, like, you know, we're on a tight deadline or whatever. We're under a lot of pressure to get it done. I want to hire someone who I hear word of mouth is also a nice person, you know, um, has a good work ethic. Yeah. You know, like, I, yeah. I don't care where he went to school. If he's a jerk, I don't want to work with this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Because how many, how many hours a day are you going to be working with this dude? It, it can, yeah, it could be quite intense. Um, like, oh, no, this guy's coming down the hall. Let me, let me hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a, a lot of projects, you'll hit the sort of crutch at the end where you're, you're working very interesting hours and you want to make sure you're with people that you like. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. The other thing you mentioned was you got a job holding the microphone. So how is that, right. like, how is that different? I, I kind of figured that was kind of one of the maybe the job duties was not only are you working on the you know the software side of the house and kind of mm -hmm. mixing and melding everything, but you're also you know holding them holding the mic. Like, are those two different jobs? Um, they can be, but they don't have to be. So okay. if you're like conventionally in the big Hollywood 
scheme of things, they are different jobs. Usually the people that go on set, we're talking like Michael Bay movies, you know, yeah. where they're huge, there's unions for everything. Explosions there's, everywhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, fun stuff. <laughs> it's, it's not nearly as exciting when you're actually there and it's like, all right, we got to set up the next explosion. Everyone take a five hour coffee break, you know, a lot of safety. <laughs> but, um, for that kind of thing, there will be people whose careers are doing the onset sound and that'll mm-hmm. have a different, they'll have a different hierarchy too. The sort of, ringleader there is the production mixer who's the the guy sitting at the recording equipment and then he'll have sort of his minions go out and and, you know hold the boom mic and do different things usually then that goes to the editorial team and these are totally different people um but with a lot of you know like newer stuff like people on youtube or whatever you know we don't have that luxury and it's kind of a waste in a way to hire two people yeah um so what you know we've been doing a lot of times is yeah our you know post people will be on set so in that case, you know, I'll do the production audio and then go into post. And there's some benefits to that because when you're on set, you kind of get a sense already of what the story wants to be. You can start talking to people yeah. earlier on. But conventionally, they are considered different jobs. Okay. Um, but a lot of that equipment can still come into play when you're editing because there's a few different ways you can get sounds. And, and I think one of the, the biggest barriers right now and it's, it's it's unfortunate to getting into like sound design is it's like all right i got some software i want to you know make some sound design for my movie i don't have sounds i don't have material to work with yeah 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 so you know professionally we use a lot of stuff from sound libraries uh that's already been recorded and then you sort of take those puzzle pieces and you start combining them together into what you want but invariably you also need to go record your own stuff if you don't have like the right, you know, kind of material or a lot of times you'll get a, a movie with like a scene or a character and it's like, yeah, I'm, that's so unusual. We have to go make something. So then you'll kind of just go out with the same equipment you would take to a set, the same kind of microphones and stuff. And you, you go and do whatever you need to get that material. And that's kind of what, you, uh, like what you were talking about with star Wars, yes. like Ben Burr was yes. going around and like hitting the, the uh, guy wires off the, the power. Yeah, or trash uh, cans or whatever. You know, oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's so cool. That's really, really neat that he was able to just, I'm just going to see what this sounds like. Yeah. And just just hits it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's what's so cool about the old Star Wars movies is that was before digital editing. And oh, I think yeah. the, the the big change that we've seen, it's, it's also affects, you know, picture, but the big change we've seen is uh, layering sound together is now really the way you do it. Because when you're working in digital, it's easy to add in like a hundred different tracks. But back when you were doing an analog on tape, you had to be really conservative with how you, you know, were using your, your limited space. So a lot of the old effects in like the original star Wars, it's just one or two different sounds playing at the same time. Yeah. Uh, like I think the tie fighters, it's like a, a car on a wet road plus an elephant. And it gives it that weird screech. Like, but that's, sure. that's all you got. Yeah. <laughs> But it was funny, I, um, I was kind of reading some of the interviews with the team that did, you know, Rogue One, you know, the Star Wars movie from last year. It's still Star Wars. And they were talking about, you know, now, oh, like the new shuttle we had to make for the villain. It's like eight different things layered together and processed through synthesizers. And it's, it's gotten way more complex. You know, so there's there's been that kind of... It's gotten more complex, but I wouldn't say necessarily... It's not simpler, but it seems like with the with technology going the way it is, it's almost like... Hmm. It's almost where you guys can produce studio quality works with just yourself almost, right? Is that is that kind of where it's going with the advent of all this great software that's coming out too? And all yeah, the resources? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, out of the two, audio is easier to do on a budget than video. At least, you know, kind of once you have yeah. a project to work on, you have your, your resources. Because uh, video, you need to get like a pretty good graphics card, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I just had a new computer built to do video and audio. And, you know, I have like an $800 graphics card in there. The, the laptop I cut, the most recent show I worked on, is about five years old and it costs $700 at the time. So I have a piece of junk laptop, but when I'm traveling, it's still good enough to do professional level editorial work. And so, yeah, 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 yeah. And so that cuts down on your kind of your entry level costs for guys that are thinking about doing this too. It's not like you've got a yeah, absolutely two thousand dollar editing, five thousand dollar editing computer. You can do you can do it on something far cheaper, far cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of nice. Barrier barriers to entry are a lot lower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. So you said you could, you could have learned this job, um, without going to film school and yeah. Yeah. I would say so yeah. because y you know, if you're looking at being like a sound designer, um, there, there's a few skill barriers you have to kind of get over, you know, you have to, to learn basically how any sound program works in terms of workflow and they're all pretty much the same. You don't necessarily need to buy the really expensive ones to start learning. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that is just, you know, learning basic editorial skills, like just kind of um, how to organize stuff cleanly, how to how to add stuff together to get a good result. And I know I'm being a little vague, but basically a lot of sound design is sort of creative problem solving. So there's a thousand ways to do anything. And, you know, yeah. all 1000 ways are correct. The idea is just get enough basic experience, goof around so you can figure out five or six of those thousand solutions. Um and that's really the the biggest one. And a lot of that is, yeah, a lot of that's more just through kind of beating your head against the wall and figuring out. Trial and error, yeah. 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 And it's kind of interesting, too, is you said film school is about the community and the networking. So mm -hmm. guys that are starting out at 14, 16 years of age, how did, how did they kind of, would you recommend they, they just get their friends together and just come up with a network on their own or. Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, you know, if you have any friends at school that are into films, you want to do something, uh, totally go for it. And I think the, the big challenge at that point is, you know, get your friends together, shoot something, have fun, but then finish the dang project. Uh, okay, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's so easy to be like, you know, to get it shot and be like, well, you know, nah. And, but, but, uh, one of the most useful things you can teach yourself early on is to, to have that grit to just buckle down and finish something. And it's okay if the film isn't that great. Like you don't have to really polish it hundred percent, but just start a project, finish it and then move on to the next one. Yeah. Would you say, that, would, you, would you suggest like just putting it up on YouTube or are there any for like creative, creative reviews or, or absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um unfortunately because everyone has youtube now you know it's so saturated like don't expect oh, to true. get don't expect to get you know the big hollywood deal off of your first youtube video if you're 14 but do it and then get used to you know only getting 30 views or get used to those really hateful you know nonsensical <laughs> comments because because that's that's the world we're moving into you know um i'm the, anonymous the, i can say whatever i want yeah yeah but you, you gotta sort of dip your toe in the water and be like all right you know i can deal with this and i can still have fun i can still enjoy making the movie how long did it take you before you felt actually comfortable not only with producing the corrupt the proper sounds but also like being able to interact in the film the film community and kind of insert yourself where you needed to go 
with everything? Um, I, I, I think of it as an ongoing, you know, process still. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Like there's, there's always people I look up to or, or, you know, studios I look up to and then it's always intimidating when you meet them. But at the end of the day, people are, are people. And, you know, once you start working together or whatever, um, everyone usually kind of, you know, stops being intimidating and you sort of get stepped down. But I, I always feel like every time you, you go into a new product, there, there's new people you're working with or, you know, something has changed. It's always a little bit intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I, how I, often are they pushing out new programs and, and new equipment for you guys? Are you constantly updating your equipment and everything? Um, I would say right now it's like every couple of years there'll be oh, an update. Okay. So it's not like new graphics card every month or something. No, like no, no. Okay. For, for audio at the professional level for like film T and film and TV, uh, pro tools is the program that everyone's pretty much using. And you don't need to start in pro tools because the way it works, there's nothing unique about it. There's, you know, a dozen other programs that are cheaper that do the same thing. Mm. But the reason I use pro tools personally is once you're doing it as a career, you know, once you're working with other people, all the mixed stages uh, work in Pro Tools pretty much. So the, okay. the the way the sound design workflow sort of works is, you know, people will edit on, you know, smaller computers, sometimes with just like stereo speakers or, or on headphones. Uh, I do a lot of my editing on headphones. And then once you have all that material prepped, you take it to the really big mix stage, which is like the movie theater kind of room with like the big mixing board. Yeah. But that, that's expensive by the hour. You know, you got to uh, uh, really yeah, yeah. pay for that. So you do all of your prep work on smaller computers and then you take all that prepared material. And then that's where you kind of um, decide how loud things are. You decide what speakers things are going to play out of. Um, but because those places the where you do that final mix are on, on Pro Tools, I edit in Pro Tools just so we have guaranteed file compatibility. Mm-hmm. but there's really no other big reason. And there's other programs that are trying to take over. So, you know, if you're watching this and you're 14 right now, Pro Tools may be dead by the time you're 20, you know? <laughs> yeah. So so if you, if you have the opportunity to get, like, a student license in Pro Tools, there's no harm in learning it, but there's um, you can definitely start in something else. Like Adobe has Adobe Audition, which is a, a pretty solid audio program. Um, and Adobe's made everything recently, uh, like a subscription based yeah, service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if you get like the student discount on that and you happen to have everything unlocked, just use audition to start learning audio yeah. there. It's a great yeah. place. But the big thing is learning the concepts, not necessarily learning yeah. about how that particular program you work that particular program, right? Yeah. They all do pretty much the same thing. They'll, they'll have different tracks and you put different sounds on different tracks and you can make them louder or quieter and you can add echo onto them and stuff, but they all do the same things. It's all just all different hotkeys. They might uh, organize things a little differently when you get to really complicated stuff, but yeah, um, they all do the same thing. Yeah. So So you mentioned earlier um, there were people that you looked up to, right? Mm -hmm. And then you kind of were able to work with them and kind of were able to be on a peer-to-peer level with them. Did you ever have a mentor or do you have, do you have a mentor um, for your job? Not currently, but um, project by project, if I ever work with someone, I always try to sort of pick their brains and, and you sort of subtly sort of get that, that mentorship yeah. from them. Um, and a lot of it is there's certain, you know, areas that I'm just not as familiar with. Like, um, so I went to film school. I, you know, learned how to do basic sound design, sound editing, but I didn't know a lot about how workflows worked for like the studio system. 
which is more organized just because there's so much going on. You have yeah. to, it's not, it's not just, you know, one guy, you know, if you're doing any project by yourself, you can kind of just, you know, be really sloppy and it's like, Oh, I know, I know where this thing is. I can figure it out. But when you have to work with other people, it's like, okay, you're going to organize it. You're going to put all of the, you know, the, all the, the footsteps in this part of the session, you're going to put all the explosions in this part that way we're, you know, we know where they are. Um, so a lot of it, whenever we've been working, whenever I've had the opportunity to work with someone who's like a professional mixer, who's done, you know, films I've heard of kind of thing. I always try to ask like, Hey, as an editor, what can I do for you better next time? So you're not trying to figure out how yeah. my stuff is organized. Um, and that's something I'm still trying to learn about. And since I'm more editorial, I'm not on set as much, but if I ever have the chance to talk to our, you sound people who are on set too, I always kind of try to look at their setups, figure out what sort of tricks they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, Cause that, that, that stuff that's just useful to know. Like I feel oh, like hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like to kind of go on a really generic segue uh, really quickly. Um, because the, the bulk of the job is creative problem solving. Just the more you are exposed to, whether it's directly relevant or not, the sort of broader your imagination will be. Because ultimately, I feel like your ability, your imagination to come up with a way to solve a problem is limited by what you've experienced. So I will watch like the behind the scenes for every movie on how they've done the sound, by how they've done the visual effects, and, you know, and just, just try to, I try to consume as much as I can about what other people are doing, other people's creative processes. Not that I'm ever going to really copy it but just knowing that oh someone can do that that's a possibility and if you keep an open mind about that yeah um so you love so yeah, well, 12 hours of lord of the rings background. oh yeah background. It's the, oh it's the best thing yeah <laughs> nice nice well i mean i just wanted to touch on that in, in a big way because again you know somebody who's just starting out who maybe doesn't have those resources yet they're not old enough to go to film school yet but i mean you know post stuff on on youtube they might get some constructive criticism but is there any community out there where they can actually like interact with with people that will actually give them constructive criticism besides the uh, the horrible horrible comments that can be sometimes <laughs> posted? Um, I'm I'm sure there's a bunch out there. Like not to not to turn it into sort of a a promotion for the company that ha I happen to work at, but oh, uh, at, at Link down uh, below. Yeah, well, at, at Rocket Jump, we do uh, we have a spinoff channel on YouTube called Rocket Jump Film School, which and it's which you star in a couple times. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, actually, you, I, I do our audio there. videos. Yeah. Um, so so check it out. It's it's free, so I'm not selling you anything. But we do have uh, if you go to rocketjump.com and go to the community tab, we do have an online forum where we encourage people to post stuff, and you can yeah. you can label it as I'm posting this for critique. And, you know, we're trying to grow that community, and it's been going great so far. We're not quite the definitive place for every filmmaker to post yet, but we're definitely always trying to, you know, expand that. Because um, it is tough. If, you know, if you show it to your, your parents, they'll only have good things to say about it. If you show yeah, it to YouTube, it sounds great. Just, you know, everyone will have bad things to say about it. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that makes, yeah. That's great that you guys are offering that, though. That really is. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just... You know, with the internet being the way it is, you know, that constructive community that's out there. Um, mm -hmm. You finding a lot of guys are posting their videos? Uh, yeah, yeah. And well, it's really cool finding people who really are hungry for, like, detailed feedback. So you can give them, yeah. like, a, you know, some people I'll respond to with a, a long list of specific notes. And then they'll take those notes, they'll redo the project, and they'll re-upload it. And we'll actually have, like, a, a dialogue. And we'll be able to go over a lot of pretty intermediate to advanced 
editing wow. techniques and, and they can immediately see the results and see why, oh, it's smart to do it this way. And then they can take that with them going forward, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. And that's kind of nice. I mean, that's actually invaluable for, for someone who's just starting out too. I mean, that, yeah, that, I mean I, that, that learning curve must be exponential, especially for guys, for guys mm-hmm. that are out there that don't have that experience or those, the luxury of necessarily being in that community or physical community. That's really, really cool. Yeah, well, I think what helps, one of the toughest things, you know, with, with any kind of creative job, I feel like, is is figuring out what questions you're trying to ask. You know, it's like, yeah. I know this isn't quite right, but I don't, I don't know where to start. And it's like, you have the internet available, but if you don't know really what question to ask, you know, how to how to phrase that, it's like, why doesn't this quite sound right? That's where it's really useful to get feedback so someone can tell you, oh, you know, the problem you have, it's called this. And then this <laughs> is what you do with it. So how did you learn how to be, not necessarily humble, but how did you learn to accept criticism and critiques and, um, and, and you I, actually I, utilize it? Right. I don't know if I, if I ever really have. I still have that, that creative pride. Uh-huh. But, but as a creative person, I also hate everything I do and think it's terrible, <laughs> you know, with, with the occasional exception. But um, a lot of... A lot of um, why I like working with, you know, Rocket Jump and a lot of the the YouTube community is I happen to have a similar sensibility, like a similar style and similar taste to a lot of the people okay. I work with, and that makes criticism easier to take. Like the criticism I still struggle with is if I take a freelance job and it's for you know a client we're doing a I'm helping out with like a commercial or some kind of promotion, mm-hmm. and like some business dude. Who has no sense of taste. It's like, yeah, can you can you redo it but make it worse? Those notes <laughs> ne- are never easy to take, but it, that's also a good experience to go through. You know, if you're going to work in film, chances are you're going to be freelance at least for part of your career, and almost invariably you're going to have to get notes from someone who doesn't understand your job, doesn't respect your job, but they're still in a position where you have to listen to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that is never easy. But um, and and this goes back to the networking thing. Uh, you want to find people, you know, that you like working with and you want to build those relationships. And then, you know, those people, if you get along well as, as individuals and as creative individuals, it makes the criticism easier to take because you're all building towards a coherent vision for the project, you know, and then it's, it's easy to be, it, you don't get so personally involved. I, I find at least. Yeah. Where yeah. It, Isn't it kind of crazy? Like, you've got to have, you got to have an ego to be the best mm-hmm. at what you do, but then you've got to you got to check that ego sometimes and, and I guess be that professional to realize this mm-hmm. guy knows what he's talking about here. I probably should listen to him and, and adapt. I don't know. This yeah. is a weird duality that you got to get yeah. learned to do that maturity level. Yeah. Yeah. But that probably just comes through time in your profession. Yeah. Time and, you know, time and being around the right people though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that does help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you went to film school in L.A. Are there any good, other good ones out there that you would recommend that people look into? Yeah, the L.A. area has a bunch. Um, USC is, has been around for quite a long time, uh, University of Southern California. And their, their big claim to fame you know, is that uh, George Lucas came out of there, and then he's now pouring tons of money into the school. Oh, that's cool. That's um, always nice. So, yeah, so they, they have you know, the George Lucas, blah, 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 and, and, and the whatever. But, um, 
UCLA also has a really good program. Um, there's a, another one like Chapman University has a pretty good program at this point. Um, and th- there's a bunch of other ones. Like there's a lot of schools that are starting to build. Uh, pretty better. solid. Yeah, really solid. Department. Yeah, and, and I think that's concurrent with the entry-level costs of equipment you know, coming down. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, I could see that. Like filmmaking used to be this incredibly brutal, you know, visceral process where you had these giant, extremely hot lights all the time. You had really noisy, gigantic film cameras. Everyone was recording on, you know, film and tape. And now it's people running out of the digital and all the lights are, you know, becoming LEDs. It's it's downscaling a lot yeah. in a lot of ways. So. Yeah. So what would you look for in a good in a good school? And how, well, actually, just go kind of go into what film school is like. Is it traditionally four years like a normal normal degree? I mean, does it does it fairly cost the same equivalent? I mean, yeah, it, it can be. Um, at, in my experience at USC, it was basically a two year program because okay. uh, I, I did the undergrad. I got a, a Bachelor of Arts uh, in film from them and I was at a couple other colleges and I was within about half a semester of graduating and then I got into film school. So <laughs> I was like, all right, you know, but they kept me there for two solid years to do the specific courses. Yeah. Um, I mean, is it hard to get into, is it hard to get into film school? Is I feel like competition now. Ye- I would say there is, I haven't, you know, a skewed view on it because I did get in. Um, but I tried multiple times. I, the first time I didn't get in and they said, Oh, you were waitlisted, but everyone else who got accepted went. So tough luck, (laughs) you know? Uh, (laughs) so the, you know, the competition is there, but it doesn't hurt to to give it a shot. You know, like I, I didn't feel particularly qualified, uh, on the application they asked what's the best film of all time. And I was thinking, well, you know, there's gonna be a lot of kids will take this seriously. There's gonna be a lot of Citizen Kane. So I, I wrote Goldfinger, which is the, the third Bond movie because, you know, yeah. it's, it's dumb as hell. It's racist, <laughs> sexist. It's great. Uh, and they let me in. So you know. <laughs> I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Did you walk around like, hey, did you put Citizen Kane down? on the, the, yeah. I think I did that. I, yeah. I was kind of like, all right, who are these losers I'm not going to hang out with? You know, <laughs> I'm better than all of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. So. So what skills would you recommend somebody learn first? Would you recommend somebody start with learning the software side of the house or the recording side of the house? Or, I mean, how would you even start doing Yeah, I, th- like I think it's, it's good to learn both. Um, okay. And I think the really important thing is trying to come up with sound, you know, that works in the context of a film. So that's going to be tough if you... Like, let's say, you know, you wake up and you go like, I want to do sound design only. I don't want to go out and shoot a movie with my friends. If, if you do, that makes it easier. You're, you're going to yeah, have yeah. material to work with. And jump into but, that role. Yeah. But uh, another thing that's great is you can take cinematics from like video games or, or movie scenes and then just remove the audio and then be like, all right, this is from the ground up. I'm going to make something for this scene. And that sounds actually really awesome. That sounds like an awesome idea. Yeah, and and that'll that covers pretty much every challenge you would run into professionally. Like it's a lot of it is filling in just necessary details. Like if you take the the audio out of a scene, you might have to put in footsteps, you might have to put in cloth, and that's something you can record at home in theory. You could even record it as a voice memo on your phone. And then you take that recording into your program and then you you learn to sync footsteps to the picture. 
which is not my favorite thing to do. But you know, uh, if they if they're not synced, it's kind of weird. So you, you got to do it. And then you know, if you have some kind of like a like action or you know explosions or weapons or, or creatures or something, you'll have to come up with those sounds. And you can you know go out and record stuff again. You can go on YouTube and people will upload sound effects. So if you go to uh, a site that lets you rip YouTube videos, you can start grabbing some sounds that way. That works while you're practicing. I, I don't particularly advocate stealing, you know, professional sound effects when you're working yep. professionally. Yes, but, but. <laughs> you know, um, it's it's about getting the skills first. Yeah, and then yeah. and then there's some uh, resources. Uh, freesound.org is a little hit and miss, but that's all stuff that people have recorded and they they share on freesound.org, and it's free to download, free to use, uh, Creative Commons licenses. They usually ask for a credit, but you know, again, if you're teaching yourself, you kind of just. But here's, but here's the thing. I mean, it's it's awesome that you with the advent of YouTube and and guys like you that are actually. I, I don't know how you do, would describe Rocket Jump. I mean, as it's not a huge studio, but I mean, it's 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 very respected within the YouTube community and within the LA community as far as pu pushing out awesome content. And it's it's really, I think, inspiring for guys to think that this is actually obtainable. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's that is really really neat nowadays because it's not just you see it on the big screen and oh, I could never do that. Now it's guys like you that are actually pushing out. Uh, liter or not literature, but lessons and ideas mm -hmm. and concepts and theories and everything like that. And hey, I can do this at 14, 16 years of age. I can actually, this is obtainable for someone like that. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, like the, the stuff like 14 year olds are putting out today is way better than stuff like yeah, I was putting exactly. out 14. Yeah, yeah like, 14 back in like 1990, in the 1990s, early 2000. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That was rough. Yeah. The, I think the thing that I don't fully understand yet is, you know, a lot of these, a lot of people now, you know, like if you're like 14 right now, you probably grew up watching YouTube. So we're, That's we're true. starting, yes. we're starting to see the first generation of people who are, are on the cusp of being ready to become professionals. And they don't, they're not like my generation because like I'm 30, you know, so I'm, I'm ancient. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. yeah uh, whatever. But, <laughs> oh yeah. But <laughs> You know, you know, to, to these kids at least. Um, but I grew up watching movies. You know, to me, the the aspiration was oh, these hundred million dollar yes, exactly big blockbusters. But we're getting this generation that's ready to go pro, and they grew up watching YouTube, and they want to do like five minute YouTube shorts. Like that's the dream, and that's that such crazy? a paradigm shift. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, so it's it's becoming insanely uh, achievable. Like it's and it's still really difficult. It's still not allowance money like you know if you if you want to throw together a, a good production kit it still will cost you hundreds or a couple thousand bucks to get every all the pieces together but um man when i was a kid it was like no you gotta have like a half million to get that it's it, it's getting better for yeah sure yeah and yeah. you said professional getting ready professional i could see somebody that's 16 that's really into it being almost to that level yeah oh yeah i mean you can do great work if you, if you have a smartphone you can make a movie pretty much at this point <laughs> so I think it's I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. So did you have you said you had a, a, um, a class in high school that you can or was it a club or organization that you were uh, able to get in, involved with? Yeah, we had some video production classes at my intermediate in high school. So okay. it was you know, like a, like a one of those class blocks you would fill in. Um, we'd goof around with like the old 
I don't even know what they were, like tape cameras of some kind. Um, but I feel like I don't remember anything I did, you know, to be honest, in those classes, but that probably taught me more than really anything, mm-hmm. you know. So the the benefit of like a, a film course at your school or the benefit of, you know, a film school is it, it gives you that opportunity to play around and, and make horrible, you know, mistakes and then be like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm learning what not to do. And that's that's the beginning. But, you know, there are other ways to do it. It's just the advantage of taking it in like a school scenario is there's already other people there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're not you're, you're not spending all of your time trying to find people to help you out. You'll probably be stuck with other classmates who will be just as goofy and making the same mistakes as you. So, you know, that's the advantage. Again, you don't need it, but if it's available to you, that's definitely the advantage in pursuing that. A ton of creative artists running mm-hmm. around with a ton of time on their hands must be. Yeah. Fun. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and you, you learn a lot about people too. You know, you, 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 you meet all the personality types you'll meet in the professional industry at like, the intermediate school level. (laughs) You'll meet like the dude with no talent that thinks he's the best thing ever. You'll meet the person who's actually talented. That's too humble to say so you'll meet, you know, the person who's, who's good, but never turns stuff in on time. You meet the the person that, that turns everything on time, but isn't that good. And you know, like, but it's, it's just good to get exposed to that and learn how to work with all those people together. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because it's, it's, you have to learn those people skills. You have to learn yeah. those people skills and those networking skills. Yeah, film is definitely a collaborative industry. There, there's not a lot of room for success if you're completely self-centered. Mm-hmm. You, inv- you invariably do have to work with other people, and it's for the better of your own work if you learn to trust other people to do their jobs because they're probably better at their jobs than you are. Otherwise, why would you, why would you have yeah. them help you? Yeah, you know, like like because it's it's like you talk to Ren. You know, he's like, I know a little bit of After Effects, but Ren is actually good at visual effects. So yeah. if I were to hire him to do visual effects for me, I should let him do his job. I shouldn't be butting in and interfering with him. No, yeah. you do this, this way. And I'm sure he would really appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. And then again, that, that does happen when you're working professionally. You always, you do work with people who micromanage you. Right? You, you, learn to, you learn to cope with it. <laughs> well, and so I kind of, we kind of touched upon this as far as the networking is concerned, going to film school, networking that way, kind of breaking into the industry. But, you know, it's kind of all, it sounds like it's almost melding all together. You know, guys are able to post on YouTube. And if you've got yeah. great content on YouTube, would you consider that almost breaking into the film industry? I think we're starting to, we're definitely starting to see that happen. Um, there's a couple of guys, you know, I'm talking to and, and they're, they're kind of out in the, they're pretty far from Hollywood, you know, but they, they've put together a couple of really impressive shorts that got like local press. It got local news attention. They've done some festivals and, you know, they, they have an immediately shareable, you know, festival circuit film that's on YouTube or whatever. And then, you know, if they want to go around and, you know, try to, to break in. I think that's just as legitimate as anything else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Nice. So what, what other advice would you give to somebody interested and going to sound design, besides what we've really talked about. Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I asked it. That's why. Excellent. Me yeah. Zero bucks to do this. <laughs> well, well, you. <laughs> I would say you've earned it, but then that doesn't actually mean what I want it to mean. <laughs> um, I guess uh, the don't 
pass up, you know, any opportunity that you have. Like the mm-hmm. a common pitfall yeah. I see is people are like, oh, I, I, I want to, you know, make a movie, but I've got to get like a good camera. Like, you know, I want to I want to do yeah. sound, but I got to get like a good microphone. If you have like a soup can with a piece of string and it records something, just start with that. I think a lot of what um, you don't realize, you know, is how a lot of the, the big names nowadays in Hollywood started doing absolute garbage. Like just to talk about like directors, um, like it might be too old for young people, but like Sam Raimi, the original like Evil Dead was made for like nothing and it's nothing's done correctly, you know, but it still works. It still tells it's still the amazing. Story. It's still amazing. Yeah. 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 Like it's, it's super lo-fi. The film is like an eight millimeter or whatever, but but it still works. So don't let, you know, a bad hardware setup or, or you know, a cheap freebie piece of software stop you from starting. Like just start now, learn what you can. And then once you hit the breaking point of that equipment, once you really can't get any better, then you can upgrade. But, you know, if you wait for like the thousand dollar magic piece of equipment, that's going to get you know, started. It never get started, and then once even even if you do get that piece, you're starting from zero. You you don't have any experience yet, so it's just start. You know. Yeah, uh, I think that's huge. I think you hit on something really really big there. Is just start. Yeah, which is which is easy to say, but I don't know. It's just it's 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 interesting duality there. Well, I, I think there's a fear at first where it's like, well, if my equipment isn't professional, my work won't be professional. And or be that's not, down upon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's not really true because a professional can make a piece of junk turn out something amazing. And it's, it's all just through experience. You know, um, like in, in the show we just did uh, at Rocket Jump, we just did a show called Dimension 404, which is like a sci fi anthology series. Um, a lot of the the sounds I, I used in that show I recorded, but they're they're super cheap and you know would appear to be really unprofessional. Like we we had a this giant underground cave kind of location, and we needed a really menacing alarm to go off. So I ended up just using the sound of uh, an electric razor against a vent in my house, and it just it just kind of made this metallic, and then I just uh, pitch shifted that down. You know, but uh, I did not record that in a studio. That was that was me with a little Zoom recorder. Hold on, like a like a little one of one of these things. Yeah, and, nice. And just whatever microphone I had nearby, and and um, but if if you know what you want to get, you can achieve it with very limited equipment. You know, like there there's sounds I use professionally that I've recorded on my phone. If I'm out somewhere and I hear something cool, I'll just record a voice memo. And you probably learned to to be adaptive like that because you started out with like a zero budget and, you know, trying, trying to learn from the ground up as opposed to somebody who started out with, you know, yeah. thousands of dollars worth of equipment. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, as, as a creative person in film, you yourself are the valuable asset. It's not really the equipment, you know, the, yes. the, the all, all the equipment, it's just means of getting it done. They're just tools. Yeah, but the the real value is someone that can take garbage and still get something good to come out the other end. You know, like like, yeah, like again, yeah. on, on this on the same show we, we uh, Dimension Four Hundred Four, I still use some like cheap uh, freeware like synth programs from like the Windows ninety five era because I know how to use them. If I need to make like a certain synthesized texture, it's just, it's the program I know. I can get results out of it really quick. Uh, yeah, 
it's hilariously unprofessional looking at the software, but it still gets me material. And then when you put it in context of the show, everyone just totally believes it. Yeah, yeah. It's just about the results. Did you ever? Yeah. Uh, did you ever watch the the background on the the audio for the, the latest Doom um, game? Or it yeah, passed I, it through like twenty synthesizers oh, yeah. to to degrade everything and. Oh yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, I guess we might as well kind of sum up what that was. So in the the new Doom, uh, which is an awesome game, if you're not old enough to play it, don't play it. But uh, <laughs> the the composer on that. Uh, Mick Gordon, he used to be a sound designer before he became a full-time Oh, see, I didn't know that. Okay, that's cool. So so he approaches it kind of like sound design. So um, when he started on Doom, he was looking at the concept art, and a lot of their concept art of hell had like a lot of electricity in it. And he was thinking, uh, you know, the, the, new, the new Doom is sort of about humanity stealing hell's energy to power Earth, which is, you know, really dumb, but it's great. So... <laughs> He was trying to find a way to capture the the actual energy of genuine electricity into the soundtrack. So he generated some of the music as just really basic synthesized tones, like white noise and, and sine waves. Um, and it, it doesn't sound great. You know, it, it doesn't sound cool or menacing. But then he ran it through physical hardware, like physical guitar distortion, and then recorded that. So it ends up sounding like a heavy synthesizer. Sounds so awesome. Yeah, but it's, but, amazing. It's, but it's not made with software. It's actual analog hardware equipment doing that. And I thought that was a really cool way to, to achieve that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of get his theories on why he, or how he came up with, with doing it that way, going through the hardware versus the software system. Does sometimes hardware sound more real, like to the human ear, does, does passing it through actual hardware sometimes, sometimes sound more realistic than just passing it through software? I think if you ask a musician, they'll definitely say yes. Um, since that's not particularly my background, like a lot of sound designers do come from a music background. I came from a general film background. Um, so I always try to learn about music production when I can, but it's not my, I'm not an expert on like analog yeah. uh, reverbs and stuff. But um, I definitely think there's always a benefit to something that's physical. You always get a little more randomness that software never quite gets. Like software can do amazing stuff, but sometimes it'll feel a little lifeless. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's kind so, of like your alarm. It's kind of like this recording your alarm, right? Yeah, yeah. So so one thing um, I will do sometimes, you know, you'll see sound designers do, is they'll, they'll generate whatever sound they want, but then they will reamp it or whatever. They will go to a physical location with the acoustics they want to add to that sound. They'll play the sound back on speakers and record it in that environment, and that gives it an, a, a genuine sense of that space. Yes, yeah. There's, if that makes maybe, sense, yeah. No, no, it totally does. It's almost like the randomness that that space projects makes it almost sound more real for for the individual. It's not clean. It's not yeah. too clean. It's yeah, weird. and again, again, it's it's kind of a, a music example, but um, I think in the second Ghost in the Shell anime movie, there there's one location that has like a like a, a giant music box that keeps playing throughout the location, but it's it's sort of like a sound design character. And they got that recording and they went to like giant underground like aqueducts or something and they played it back and recorded it in different spaces there to give it the character. Because you could do it in software. You could add software reverb and, and they're quite good at this point. But yeah, there's just something about it being a real a real space. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that makes it true. Yeah. So let's talk about Rocket Jump for a little bit here. Um, sure. 
So why did you want to work for Rocket Jump? Or how does working for Rocket Jump differ from working for like some of these absolutely huge, big, big, like the, the Michael Bay studios out there? Right. Well, I, I feel like what really gets me inspired, like what I like about doing sound or doing anything in film um, is I like having some creative input. Like I like having enough responsibility where if I do my job poorly, the product as a whole will noticeably suffer. And like, that's my fault. Uh, okay, um, yeah. I, I, I need those stakes to really apply myself. And the nice thing about working, you know, with a group like uh, Rocket Jump is, is everyone else likes taking risks, but it, it is a smaller team. So you get that where everyone brings something to the project and then everyone, you know, has their input and, and every person's input, about 95% of it survives into the final product. You know, occasionally you'll have to compromise or, you know, of course, everyone, you know, shares their work and, and gets notes. Um but what I like about working at, at Rocket Jump is I feel like I can sort of slip my stamp on everything, you know, yeah, and, and whether yeah. whether the audience gets that or not, that almost is irrelevant. But to me, that's satisfying. So you, you know, like feel I, as though your contribution is is magnified almost as opposed to the Michael Bay film where there's yeah, so many yeah. visuals and so much going on that where. Yeah. Or, or yeah. When, there, when there's a larger editorial staff too like uh, that's on, true too yeah on, on a lot of uh rocket jump stuff I, I might be the only sound editor or even yeah. on our our newer show dimension 404 um i did a good chunk of it we brought on a, cu a couple other editors to help out but it was still just three or so people three or four people communicating on that when you get to like a big big blockbuster you know you, you might be cutting the footsteps that's your contribution to, to transformers you know the, the, the thing you hate the worst or the, the most <laughs> yeah yeah so i like i get the the nice thing about the you know starring in a smaller place is is you do you kind of end up doing everything you know yeah. you, you you kind of do stuff that might you might normally have to wait five years to get up the chain to be able to do at a bigger company where it's like oh we don't want you to cut the big you know, the main weapons because we got this other guy he's been on staff for 20 years and he's good at it so you know Help us out doing the, the the cloth movement for the soldiers. It's like you uh, know. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it seems like maybe you you were able to grow faster as a professional. Um, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. 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 So so that is why when I talk to like people who have studio experience, I just try to ask like, all right, how do you organize it? Because if if you're doing everything at once, you kind of you're solving all these different problems at the same time. But but it might make you hard to work with when you go to other people and you're like doing their work and you didn't know you were you know. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it seems like the YouTube community, it, it seems like certain studios within the YouTube community really collaborate uh, together. It seems like you, you do that, well, Rocket and you, Rocket Jump and you guys do that a lot with some other, like the Sam and Nico channel, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. How important is that collaboration? Um, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely important, you know. Um, mm -hmm. The, the the fact that there there is this community I think is, is invaluable. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Um, it's interesting because we're all kind of going in different directions because it's sort of uncharted territory. Like the way Rocket yeah. Jump is going is a little different than the way like Sam and Nico, Corridor Digital is going. But we're all still in real life friends. Like we'll hang out. Yeah. Uh, and that's we'll definitely evident. I mean, it's definitely evident in your videos. Yeah. Um, so I think the keeping that friendly relationship is great because we're part of the sort of the first wave of YouTube 
filmmakers, quote unquote, you know, um, yeah. and I don't, I don't say filmmaker to be pretentious. I just mean like there are people who have done really well with let's plays. People have done really well vlogging on YouTube. Um, and we're, we're more interested in trying to do little like cinematic pieces or, or, you know, but you're, TV an, shows. you're an actual company, a setup company. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not, we're not, this. I, I was trying to like talk about like PewDiePie without talking about PewDiePie, basically. You know, <laughs> he's, he's his own thing. Um, yeah. We work a lot harder and we make less money, so it's great. Uh, <laughs> but it's what we want to do. So you're following um, your passion. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, but but it's interesting because we don't really know what the impact is yet. Uh, when like Rocket Jump got started, YouTube was really this indie scene. There there were there was nothing there. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of these channels that we know now, like Rocket Jump Corridor and stuff, they they were some of the early ones to get really popular. And then, um, and this is important if you're looking at getting into YouTube right now, then the business world started to take notice. And then now there's, you know, agents, there's different, you know, representation uh, for people and, you know, uh, management and stuff is, is all starting to get involved in YouTube. And it's making YouTube more difficult to break into, which I think is unfortunate, you know, um, mm -hmm. on, yeah, on, on one hand, because now there's, there's starting to become a conventional business hierarchy. Like if you, if you start a YouTube channel, I have a personal one where I just put up stuff for fun. I have, I don't know, two or 3000 subs on there, but I'll get the spam emails every now and then like, Oh, Hey, if you want to, you know, increase your income, sign up with us and we'll promote your videos. And you can tell there, there's already this industry of, of, you know, like a talent agency or whatever is starting to move in and they'll of course take cuts of your, of your meager ad earnings. Um, that was another thing for a while. I think a lot of, a lot of people were hoping that advertisement would sustain them on YouTube. You'd be able to run a small company, make money on ads. And unfortunately at the moment that isn't really true. Uh, it works again, if you're like a, a PewDiePie, if you're an individual pretty much. And if you have like a million subs, you can you can make like a, you can scrape eyes a middle class you know person, which is fantastic. But if you're doing bigger stuff, if you're if you're doing movie making and you have expenses, you have to you know get a crew together, you have to get a location. Even if you're doing it for cheap, that money will not carry you all the way. And that's why um, a lot of channels like you know like Rocket Jump and Corridor will do uh, collaborations with like a brand. We'll do a short for a company to promote their film. We still insist on having a creative voice in there. Like we'll, we'll pitch the project. They'll say, Hey, you know, do you want to do something to promote this movie? And we will say, well, we'll do it if we get to do this really stupid idea because we're passionate about it. And then it's a take it or leave it deal. Um, so we, we really value keeping that, you know, creative keeping, autonomy. Keeping, yeah. Keeping your spin on it. Yeah. But, but to, to make a short, you know, sometimes it's like you, you need that, backup of a, of a bigger brand that'll help you pay for it because unfortunately the ad money won't carry you mm -hmm. so that's why again like a lot of the newer stuff you'll see it's it's quarter digital collaborating with someone it's rocket with somebody it's not that we're you know terrible people we're selling out it's just realistically it's the the smartest way to make stuff that we want to make and we can still have control over it and you know hopefully yeah. you, you enjoy the cool videos and don't hate us in the comments too much you know <laughs> so what I guess that goes into the next question. What what's the future for Rocket Jump? You know. Um. Yeah. So where? where, where do you, yeah. Where do you guys want to go? Um. Sorry, I, I was thinking. There, there's one other tangent I want to hit on. Oh, on, go for it. Go for thing. it. But, but I will get back. I'll get to that immediately. The the other thing about YouTube, just really quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I was sort of whining about how the the ad money's bad, and you know how there's 
you know, scary people, business degrees moving in. The other, just the other challenge with YouTube is because it's so accessible and some people have been successful. It's sort of the, the new thing that everyone will sort of half-heartedly try, you know? Um, and kind of with anything, the, the people who weren't really going to take it seriously will, will sort of drop out after a video or two, you know? But like, if you really want to make it, you'll obviously keep growing your channel. But the problem is there's so many people uploading right now. It's just, it's really oversaturated. So it is hard to get, it's harder to get attention now than it mm -hmm. was before. And there's no real easy solution for that. But it's just, if you get started on YouTube, don't get discouraged. If you don't get the crazy views right away, just understand that it is a different market than when like Rocket Jump started. Like there are way more channels right now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would suggest probably what tracking your numbers. If you really wanted to not get discouraged, just track your numbers and see, hey, this is my percentage growth. Mm -hmm. And you might, yeah. not, you might not get viral, you know, 10% week over week growth all the time. But even if it's 2 5% every week, I mean, you got to yeah. take, take joy in, in that. Yeah. And that, that must be some sort of encouragement for people. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's all also just try to self-promote, you know, post on Facebook, you can try posting on Reddit. Uh, you can try submitting to film festivals. The, the more, the more chances people have to, to see your content, the more likely you are to get someone to watch it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as far as rocket jump is going, cause we, we grew out of being a YouTube company. Um, but we're mostly made of people that want to make movies, you know? So moving forward, we have a bunch of projects that we want to do and it's a lot of it is film. A lot of it's TV. And we're at this interesting point where, you know, we have, we have a, a list of what we think are fantastic ideas. And a lot of it is now we're trying to interface with the more conventional film industry. Um, and then be like, Hey, who, who's down to make this with us. Mm -hmm. And, and we had success with our, our last show, uh, dimension 404 that just came out because there's no way we could have made that on our own. Um, Lionsgate, we, uh, Lionsgate has a first look deal with rocket jump and that's, that's public knowledge. That's not, you know, um, a big secret or anything, but that basically means Lionsgate has a chance to look at things we're developing. And if they think it's cool, you know, they get a, a window of opportunity to jump on it. But I think that's so cool is the fact that you started out producing videos for YouTube and there's mm -hmm. nothing just wrong with staying that route, but I mean, you were no, able to yeah. get get the publicity and the views and the professionalism to the point where these massive studios with millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of budget are able to say, Hey, these guys, we need to actually be taking a look at these guys because they're producing stuff that people want. Mm -hmm. That's really, really neat. Yeah. Yeah. So with our last show, again, like Lionsgate thought the idea was cool and then they talked to Hulu and then Hulu was like, yeah, we'll, we'll do the yeah, show. So that's, that's so, so cool. that's why, that's why our new show is on Hulu. It, it wasn't because we wanted to hide our, our new thing behind a paywall. It's because Hulu literally was like, yeah, we will help you make your show. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's on Hulu. So now that we've just finished that, you know, we've got a, a list of a bunch of other projects and it's just, it's, we're ready to do it, you know. It's just now we got to like be business people to a certain degree. <laughs> just, you know, um, and, and we have stuff in, in the works and it's, it's that balancing act of like trying to tell your audience like, hey, you know, we're, we're doing a follow-up to Video Game High School. We wrote the first episode already. We already have the animation studio It's because now it's a cartoon. It's not live action anymore. Um, and they're all ready to go. It's like we're just, we're just trying to lock down the deal on, you know, who's going to write the checks and, you know, get it all 
Good to go. But again, that's so neat is the fact that we can see a company evolving Mm -hmm. into something different, you know, and and going beyond that and pushing the boundaries on. And that's just really, really neat that you can almost literally see that real time and almost be a part of that, I guess you could say, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, and like I said, like we're all like, you know, rocket jump, like corridor and whatnot. We're all sort of going different directions, but we're sort of the first generation of YouTube to start growing out beyond that. Yeah. Um, so there's no rules written yet. No one quite knows how to do it. So, you know, I, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like what we get right and what we get wrong might sort of become the rule book for the next generation to some degree, you know. Yeah, but that's really—I I think that's neat. You guys are really pushing the boundaries on. on yeah, what you can but that's—that's that's a lot. Of what I like about it too is uh, we don't really know what's going to happen, and that's why I'm excited to be working in this part of the industry. You know, it's just like it—it it could go fantastic or it could all fall apart in a year. But I like that. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. want to see where this goes. So where do you want the where do you want the overall general film industry to go? Um. I think the big thing I don't fully understand yet is what, you know, we were talking about earlier, the, the, the generation that's grown up with YouTube and they think of YouTube as sort of like their favorite or one of their favorite forms of, you know, audio visual media. Um, I want to, I'm really curious what kind of things, you know, will be made for the audience as they continue to grow up. Uh, and then, yes. And, uh, and cause you know, we're sort of at this point where like, you know, yeah, there's big Hollywood movies, but you know, people might be more into a web series or more into, you know, shorts on a, on a YouTube channel. And it's like, as they, they grow up and start, you know, paying for stuff more, I've, I've no idea how that's going to, how that's going to go. Cause I feel like, um, with the, the, uh, the world shrinking with the internet, you know, and, and people from outside of Iowa being able to make professional grade stuff and share it on the internet with everybody. Um, Hollywood has to kind of either catch up or become a little more of a niche. You know, yeah, I could see that in, in a way because, like, right now Hollywood is still very sort of 20th century American in a way in terms of a lot of the kinds of movies they make and in terms of who they market to. And then they're trying to catch up and market to like China now, but it'll be interesting seeing, in addition to just international markets, how Hollywood tries to market to to people who maybe don't want to pay 20 bucks to watch a movie all the time. You know, who'd who'd rather um, do some you know, like a subscription service or something. Uh, yeah. And it'll be, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how that shapes it. And they're all going to kind of converge in a way that I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's like pe- people from a broader range of places can make films for cheaper and they can share with a wider range of people. And, you know, people are, are getting into consuming that kind of, of pseudo professional content. And I'm really excited to see what, what that does, whether it sort of democratizes filmmaking in a big way or, or whether the big industry finds a way to monetize it, you know? Yeah, no, I think you're hitting on something huge is that audience development, that evolution of the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously going to drive your market anyway, right? So, <laughs> I mean, if, if guys are used to, we talked with Ren about this a while back, was guys are used to c- cinematic level production of Game of Thrones and they're like, I'm going to watch this, literally a movie for an hour, that's really mm-hmm. a TV show versus having yeah. to go to the movie theater, watch, you know, movie that's only two hours long versus these full, fully length 10 mm-hmm. hour, you know, te- 10 session or 10, um, 10 episode hour long things. That's what they're getting used to. That's what the audience wants. Yeah. How do you, 
I don't know. It's interesting. That's very, very interesting how access is really becoming, it seems easier for you guys. To yeah. Really yeah. Stuff out. Definitely. And, and not to undersell, you know, the, the old school theaters, like movie theater technology is becoming phenomenal. You know, like the, the actual image quality is getting better. They're getting better at brightness. Uh, sound systems are still constantly evolving. You know, like five one is not the new thing anymore. Um, but all of that trickles down to the home, you know? So oh, yeah. in, in 10 years, we're going to have incredible stuff on mobile. You know, you're going to have uh, like, you know, incredibly good headphone surround sound at that point, probably an incredibly good picture quality. So it's, and we're not you know, even and, talking about like augmented reality or how yeah. it's going to oh, be. Oh geez. Yeah. Yeah. That's we'll save that for the, for the next conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's really cool. That's going to be an advent of new technology there too. And how are you guys? I mean, it'd probably be almost easier for you guys as a smaller studio to jump into something that be able to take advantage and utilize some of this, this, yeah, this well, newer, What's edge. Not, yeah, what, what's nice is um, a lot of the people like in YouTube are uh, super nerdy, like, you know, whether or not they seem like it. I mean, maybe, maybe we're all obviously giant geeks, but um, so we, we try to like in our free time keep up with that stuff. Like, you know, some of the office will just go and buy like the new VR headsets. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll all goof around it and be like, okay, what yeah, is this? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's not that the big studios aren't, aren't doing the same thing, but, but it's kind of, it's cool to be with like a small group of people and everyone will just try it. And it's like, all right, cool. You but know, you're able can... to maneuver and adapt a little bit quicker. I mean, that's the nice thing about smaller companies too. Yeah. You guys can adapt faster. So one final question. I'm sorry. Keep me a little bit long here, but yeah, go for it. Where do you, where do you want to go from here? You personally, how do you want to grow your career specifically? Um, yeah, I don't really have a clear end goal, but, uh, which I think is kind of, that may sound strange, but I, I really don't, know in terms of like daily job duties. I don't know what I want to be doing in, in 20 years. What I want to do though is continue doing work where I feel like I'm working with people that are equally passionate, you know, who are very talented and where I have an input on the project. And that to me is the, the most important part. The what actual skill or how I'm applying myself is, is almost is is completely secondary to that actually. Um, the, the way I judge a group of people when I, and that sounds terrible, but the, the, when, when I start a project with like people I haven't worked with, um, I quickly try to figure out if I'm the smartest person in the room. And if I am, I shouldn't be on that project because, because then oh, I feel like yeah. I'm wasting my time or I feel like I'm going to be carrying these people across the finish line. I want to be in a room where everyone is at least as smart as me, if not smarter. Mm -hmm. And then that makes me feel inspired. That makes me feel like, wow, like we're, we could do something great. Um, and that's the, the sort of situation I'm always looking to put myself in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so uh, I'll just touch on it briefly. Um, because we're a smaller company at Rocket Jump, you know, um, in addition to doing sound design, which is the editorial half of it, um, I will do recording sometimes. Um, we'll do like live streams, so I'll help run audio on that. But for like our last show, when we were in pre-production, before we started shooting, I was uh, one of the concept artists on the show also. Since, you know, like I, I mentioned at the That's start, cool. as a little kid, I would, I would draw. And I don't think yeah. I'm like, it doesn't, I don't think there's a definition for it, but I don't feel like I'm a professional grade illustrator, you know, but um, I can talk to these people that I, I'm used to working with during the editing process. And then we, I can draw well enough that I can help put ideas down on the page. Um, and I found that, you know, like equally rewarding as doing the sound stuff. 
So it's, it's just, I think being able to contribute and help shape the show from a visual standpoint before we shot and then come back to the same designs, seeing them fully realized as, you know, practical costumes or a CG and then, and then adding the sound back to that was really weird. Like, I don't think that's, that's not a normal workflow, <laughs> but um, I feel like I, I hope in the future, I just continue to be able to, to end up having opportunities like that where I, I can do stuff that's kind of unusual mm-hmm. and, and just be a, be a part of a project in, in a way like that. Yeah. Yeah. You have that solid sound design, but then, you can kind of dabble in something else or try to try to see if you like something. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And, and I think that that's an incredible luxury of being in a smaller company where, you know, you can, you can just sort of walk into a room. You have to convince one other person, Hey, let me do this. It's like, all right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally grow yourself. I, again, just always coming back to it, you know, you have to grow yourself as a person and a professional. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I think, um, especially in something like film, always be trying to find time to learn something new or do something new, even if it is completely useless for your actual paid job. Cause it'll, there's always weird ways how things will come back and help you. Yeah. Like, like when I was, uh, commuting to film school, um, I was driving in LA every day, you know, a lot of traffic. So that's, that's a very frustrating situation. Uh, I was listening to a lot of metal and then I figured out how to do some like metal screams just driving to and from school. Uh, and that's a completely useless skill, but you would be amazed at how many times that has helped me as a sound editor, a sound designer. Um, I had a friend who was over electronic arts when they were doing some of the mass effect three promo stuff. So I came in and did some, some yells for the, the space zombies and that, you know, it's just like, like if you, if you have the time, find a way to fill it with something that's interesting to you and it's challenging to you because it, it may actually get you a job someday, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I mean, just grow yourself as a person. Don't be stagnant. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. When you're screaming in the car, probably because of stress, yeah. <laughs> you never realize that that was going to be something that could help you later down the No, road. it's just like, yeah, I, just, you, you, I figured out the way to do it where it doesn't actually wreck you. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I'll never use this, but and it, you know, it turns out it's useful sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, yeah, absolutely. Where, where, where can people find you? Obviously, you know, get on YouTube. Uh, but what are, what are all your channels that you're a part of? Yeah, so I have a channel on YouTube, a personal one, uh, Kevin Senzaki. And then that's my handle on everything. Uh, I was not creative. So my Twitter is at Kevin Senzaki. My Instagram is at Kevin Senzaki. And, and those are the main places I'm around on the on the interwebs. Um. And you also have some awesome yeah. content. I mean, Rocket Jump is pushing out some film, film school. Yeah, videos. yeah. Rocket Rocket Jump Film School has a bunch of uh, audio tutorials that I've done. My personal channel also has some, but they're a yeah, little a ton. They're a little lower quality in production value. <laughs> but it is really uh, neat. I mean, I'm on your channel right now, and we we mentioned that before that that demo reel, and it's just really really neat how it's able to really you were able to really highlight. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even really caring about the visuals. I was actually hearing that sound, and it was just—it was oh, really cool. neat to be cool. able to see what you guys were, what you were able to do with with that, and really how mm-hmm. it interacted with the the picture. I guess you could mm-hmm. say the visuals. So, I think that's really really neat, and I think that's great that you guys are pushing this stuff out and actually d- taking the time and money to be able to to really develop the community out, not just you guys. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just kind of to throw in the blurb, if, if you're trying to get into sound or whatever, if you have any questions, if it's a short one, Twitter is great. If you have a longer question, um, it'll take you a minute of your time, but go to rocketjump.com, go to the community tab and then sign up for our forums and you can either start a topic or you can direct message me, uh, on the forums. And, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer any kind of long, weird questions on there. Uh, I, I get to them as soon as I can. Every now and then I have to, I'll send a quick, like, apology. You know, like, we're, we're doing a thing, but I'll get back to you in a, in a week or whatever. But, um, but I the actual always, you is going to respond back. Yeah, yeah. Well, me or one of my 10 assistants, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's so awesome. It's getting access to professional sound design and, and really get that good, good feedback. So that's yeah, well, it, it, go, it goes both. It goes both ways, though, because it's it's so cool being able to like take a break from work for twenty minutes and then email with someone who is really passionate and trying to get in, and that kind of reminds you like why the job is fun. Yeah, you know, so it's it's like a sort of a mutual mutually beneficial thing too. Nice. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much for talking talking about. Yeah, that. thanks for having me. So, have a good day. Okay. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. If you liked it, let us know in the comments below. Um, anything to improve. Um, and always check out our videos. Uh, we've got them on collegealternative.net or we've got them on this YouTube channel here. We're pushing out new content all the time. And if you've got any advice, new careers you want us to check out, let us know. Thanks. Bye. Bye.